Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a podcast for everyone who's fascinated about how our minds work, mental health and all things therapy. Ask the Therapist is hosted by me, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse, cognitive behavioural therapist and author of the CBT Journal. I've over 20 years experience of working in the field of mental health and I hope to educate, entertain and simplify all things mental health and therapy. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. In this episode I talk with person-centred counsellor Elaine Bramall. Elaine has been in the caring professions for many years. She qualified as a midwife in 1997 and worked in this role for 10 years before moving on to work in oncology and end-of-life care where she supported staff to develop more effective communication skills when working with people who need the best possible communication style. Elaine now divides her time between providing counselling here in Wilmslow to individuals and couples, as well as providing training in communication skills to other healthcare professionals. In this episode, Elaine talks about her journey where she has cared and supported people from the first moments of their life to the last. She gives an insight of working with and coping with bereavement and grief. So time to grab your cup of tea and make some time to listen and reflect. Hello, Elaine, and welcome to Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. Hi, Sarah. So can I just ask you a first question? Can you start by introducing yourself and tell us about what you do and how you got to this point? Okay. So I'm Elaine Bramhall. I have a varied background um, in terms of my my first, I suppose, proper job was um, as a midwife. So I went wow. in to do my training um, after I'd had my own two children. And part of the draw to that uh, career choice, I suppose, was about the psychological and emotional impact of pregnancy. So that really interested you from the start, did it? It did, yeah. Partly because of my own experience, but just interest in mm. how it how it changes you as a person. So went into that, and after I qualified, I worked for 10 years as a midwife. But seven of those 10 years, um, I spent working on an early pregnancy unit, which supported women and couples who were experiencing some kind of pregnancy problem, pregnancy loss, Um, so miscarriages, ectopics, but also problems later in pregnancy, which might be meaning that they've got gestational diabetes or Mm. the baby was small for some reason. So lots of different problems moving away from a healthy pregnancy but particularly supporting couples um, and women when they were experiencing pregnancy loss got me very interested in counselling. Ah, right. That was a very distressing field to work in. In some ways, because obviously you're dealing with Mm. loss and grief, and nowadays people, people will know this, you can get a positive pregnancy test even before you've had a missed period. Gosh, so no, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so so people can be thinking and feeling that they're pregnant and anticipating this exciting mm. um, new baby even before they've had a period missed. Wow, so about three weeks. Yeah, three to four weeks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So obviously that means that a miscarriage, which would traditionally have been seen as a as a late heavy mm. period 
for that woman, that couple, is a, is a huge loss. Yeah. Um, so some of that experience of supporting women, couples through that grieving process led me more and more into thinking about becoming trained as a counsellor. Right, so that's how you made the transition. Yeah. Did you train while you were a midwife? Or? I did, yeah. I started, right. I started my training while I was a midwife and finished finished it just six months after I stopped being a midwife. Right. So after I, I left that job, because a lot of things, as people will be aware from all the press, there's a lot of pressure in the NHS mm. and that's been ongoing. That's been the whole of the time that I've been involved in it. It's a tough environment it. to work Tough in. environment. And I, I didn't feel that I could do my job as well mm. as I wanted to do it and that people were being shortchanged and that led me to think about what else yeah. I could do. And being a therapist is such an interesting job, isn't it? Do you think that was the main thing that led you to being a counsellor or do you think there was other things that kind of pushed you in that direction as well? Yes, it is an interesting job. Yes. I think I, innately, I'm interested in people. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And their, their story, their, yeah. their life experience. But also, it's about that process of helping people navigate through whatever life throws at them. Yes. So yeah. that almost helping them to adjust to whatever it is that's stopping them getting yeah. on with their lives and living it happily. Person-centred counselling, that's the therapy you deliver, isn't it? It is, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it's quite different from CBT, it isn't is it? It is quite different. And sometimes people struggle with, do I need counselling or do mm. I need CBT? So can you really yeah. kind of tell us about person-centred counselling and why somebody might choose that as well? Okay. So person-centred counselling, as you rightly say, is, is quite different from CBT. Mm. It originated um, in the 1950s uh, and it's developed by somebody called Carl Rogers. And that was reading one of Carl Rogers' books was right. the, the thing that really got me interested because his belief was that we all are driven to improve, to recover, to heal ourselves. And that's been borne out over and over and over again all mm. the time that I've been working with clients. But it's a th- it's a, a, a therapy that is part of the humanistic group of therapies. Right. So it focuses very much on the person that is the client yeah. and um, that they are the expert of themselves yeah. rather than some of the other therapies where the mm. therapist is the expert. Yeah. So it's a a therapy that works with the person wherever they're at in that moment. Right. Um, And it's very much based on the relationship of the client and the therapist Mm. working in tune, I suppose. Yeah. So in, in the ways that it differs, I suppose, from CBT is that there's not a particular program of... Work, CBT can be quite that, structured, can't that you, it? Yeah, problems so, so there is less, yeah, and, yeah, less structure. There's not homework as such that you give people mm. activities to do between sessions. That said, sometimes that is appropriate, mm. uh, depending on what it is that you might be working with with that person. And each session, which is usually weekly, mm. can be very, very different. Right. 
so the presenting issue one week might be something that you think that you think or I might think after the session that that'll probably carry on for a few more weeks after that but the person comes back the following week and actually something else is much yeah. more important so that's where the the work takes place right so it's it's, it's more directed by the person coming for the therapy yeah 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 so maybe it's more fluid in that way mm. that it, it can change direction and sometimes it might be something that's happened in the week and that takes over the session yeah but in some way it will still fit into the whole the overall whole picture yeah. process yeah how many sessions would people normally come to see you for that that's uh I suppose a, a difficult question yeah. to answer because it depends on the reason that they came for therapy. Yeah. Um, and it also depends on that person's readiness mm. to work with whatever it is that they're struggling with. On average, probably about 10 to 12 right. sessions. Okay. That said, I've had people that I've had people that have had maybe had three and yeah. that's been enough but then I've also had people who have much much longer right. therapy than that so it sounds very individual to very individual needs yeah and for what what kind of things do people kind of maybe would a person choose counselling why would somebody choose counselling the type of, of client that I see are people who perhaps have uh, a repeated pattern in their life right? Um, yeah. that they have decided enough's enough mm -hmm. and I need to understand why this is happening whether it's relationship patterns or work patterns yeah. or just difficulties that they keep coming over through their life and want to stop or understand why, why that is the case it might be uh, related to an event Mm -hmm. that's causing them some some distress in some way yeah um it could be anxiety uh, and they're not sure mm. why that's happening um because it, it hasn't before quite often it is related to a change that right. that person okay. wants to make in their life right and you do a lot of bereavement work and we I all do. experience bereavement at some point in our lives can you tell us a bit about the experience of bereavement the question's reminding me of something mm. that I, I learnt when I was in my training, yeah. and that was um, that we all experience lots of beginnings and endings, yes. and every yeah. client um, yeah. that comes for any kind of therapy is usually dealing with some kind of loss. Yes. And we do all experience many types of endings and new mm. beginnings throughout our lives and we don't experience them or think about them as a yeah. loss yeah. or a bereavement mm. those are the terms that we relate to the death of someone or something that's that's important to us so bereavement in itself or grief yeah um is a natural healthy process mm. um and i i, I I don't think we all always see it in that way. It can feel quite frightening. People are experiencing feelings and thoughts that they've not experienced before and that sense of being out of control can feel quite frightening. Yes. And there are 
theories out there about the stages of grief that we might what go through. What do you through. think about those? Because it's a bit of controversy, isn't there? there yes. I think there's some validity in thinking about the experience of grieving. Mm. However, we can always look at theory, but people don't fit into no, theory no. in that very neat way that sometimes it's presented. Mm. So common things that people will be familiar with is... Um, Anger. Anger is a, a very strong emotion, quite a mm. difficult emotion for a lot of people to experience. And that can provoke other feelings because feeling angry feels really hard to manage. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes that's something that means that, that people struggle mm. because they can't manage that particular emotion. And I guess they can experience feelings that they're not used to feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can't they? Yeah. But yeah just even just crying mm. for some people that's not something that they do no they just don't do it so, so that the emotional outlet mm. crying feeling this pressure of overload yeah um, can be very very difficult and people don't know what to do with that or yeah. how, how to manage it and it would you say there's a point at which people benefit more from therapy or coming for counselling in the grieving process or is it just different for everybody or or should everybody come what do you think um I don't I don't think it's needed for everybody right because okay. it, grieving is a, a natural so, process yeah. yeah but there are times when certainly um therapy can be enormously helpful mm. there are lots of different complexities that make grieving outside fall outside the healthy normal process if you like and that might be the person that's died mm. it might be about it's the first loss so that person's never because as you might know from your your practice there's a lot of adults and older yes, adults yeah. who have never actually experienced the death of someone close yes, to them yeah so they're getting into yeah. their old uh, their middle age, older age, mm. and their parents are still alive. Yeah, and they've not never had that experience. So mm. when it happens, and I get, I work with some people who are actually scared of it happening. Yeah, you know they can see their parents getting older. They've never had a bereavement, and yeah. they're terrified. So because that's interesting, it's yeah. so alien as an experience. Yeah. So sometimes it might be that. Sometimes it might be the event itself is mm. sudden, unexpected, traumatic, and actually the the shock mm. is is the barrier to the natural or normal process yes. that you might go through. I have um, in my experience when I when I was first qualified working at a hospice, seen some people very very quickly after the death, and that was helpful and important for, mm. for those individuals because they were dealing with the shock if you like yeah but that's different than dealing with um supporting someone maybe six 12 months after a bereavement mm. um it's a different experience and you're dealing with different parts of the experience if you like yeah. so if if the experience has left someone shocked then after you've worked with them with the shock it might be then that they can go off and deal with the, the grieving side mm. themselves or it might be that some of that work continues and some people might say oh I should be over it by now it's been six months what would you say or six months or 12 months or a couple of years what would you say yeah. to that because I think 
people think that they should be able it happens a few months later should be yeah. able to box it off and carry on with yeah. this normal life what would you say to that and i suppose that's part of the the issue isn't it yeah we want everything instant now yeah because we see it on instagram Fast. <laughs> yeah looking yeah. great yeah so yeah. 12 months after someone has died yeah. who is important to you um that is just a moment in time mm. and there's no reason to think that you are going to be back to normal and okay mm. and over it 12 months after someone's died that's still very very short it feels like that's the early days really very it? early I days the first year of somebody close yeah sometimes not that close but it can be having a significant impact 12 years just getting yeah. through first 12 years it's just getting through yeah. it and then you can start the yeah. grieving process yeah i know in it, there's a lot of parallels between yeah. birth and death Really? And in my experience of midwifery, yeah. as well as the work that I do now, there's this sense of this major life event can happen, yeah. whether it's having a baby or whether it's mm. someone important to you's died, and you just bounce back. Mm. You get up, you carry on with your cleaning, shopping, job, all the running yeah. around that we do. I Actually, I'd say that even more for yeah. birth, because... Um, women are meant to look fantastic aren't they yeah the pressure to look yeah. like actually you coping bounce back to your pre-pregnancy shape so all of those pressures from society from ourselves mm. even to just carry on like nothing's happened is part of what makes these massive life changes so difficult yeah and probably That's slows down the recovery slows it, slows it down yeah. yeah so there's there's this massive event this this wound i suppose mm. when you're talking about grief and bereavement if it was visible we probably would take more care yeah and allow it's all it's quite heal. cruel what we're doing really mm. isn't it to kind of people who have had a and I guess it's not just the mums, it's the dads as well. When you have a baby and when you lose somebody, that everybody's expected to just yeah. bounce back and yeah. pretend everything's okay. What drew you to your work in bereavement? It sounds like there is a real pull for you to work with mm. beginnings and endings. That's yeah. a, a constant theme, isn't it? Yeah. Where do you think that's come from? Well, I think maybe it, it goes back to the midwifery thing. Mm. You know, that is... It, that there is a massive beginning because yes. this new life and ending though. and a massive ending yeah. because whatever your life was before whether it you're a, a single mom or a, a couple you're now becoming a, a parent a family all of those those changes mm. so that's there but also in terms of certainly working with people in, in one of my first counseling roles at yeah. the hospice it's so, I suppose, just so amazing to see mm. how people have got this drive to recover, mm. to get through this really, really difficult experience. Mm. And they just need that bit of backup, that bit of support, yeah. um, that bit of guidance. When you were working in the hospice, did you work with people at the end of their lives as well? Yes, pe people who were dying. Um, How was that? Again, amazing. Was it? Yeah. And and I do see people in that position now, palliative yeah. individuals with life-limiting or life-ending disease. And 
it highlights actually how strong we are. Really? Is that what you've yeah. got from it? How yeah. strong we're that's amazing, isn't it? Because yeah. so many people are terrified of that, but I know yeah. actually when you're in that situation there seems to be a strength, doesn't it, that comes up in yeah. people. Gosh. Yeah, wow. very it the, there seems almost to be a clarity about right. life and Gosh. priorities oh. and actually what what is important in terms of what their legacy will be, what people will be leaving behind mm. and how to manage their emotional hit, if you like, mm. um, of this diagnosis, this illness, so that they can leave their house in order mm. um, in terms of whatever it that entails, memories, finances, relationships. But in doing that, they then get to live well while yes. they're dying. Yeah, that's so Because there's no anxiety about all those unfinished or unsaid, unresolved yeah. things. I bet that's such rewarding work. Massively really. rewarding. Yeah. Gosh. And yeah. Why do you think we struggle? Because I bet not many people not many, no. come for that, do they? But why do you think we struggle with talking about death and bereavement and loss? Because it it is about endings isn't it mm. it's about endings. so we like to avoid what's distressing or uncomfortable yeah. don't yeah. we and and so some for some people they could, they could be really brave and bring that ending towards them and work on it mm. but most of us like to shut it out don't yeah. we but there's a sadness in that in that of because course. i guess you don't get the opportunity to kind of end in the way you choose to end things. absolutely and there is a sense of of the way that we live our lives now we do want to control just about everything. We plan for just about everything. Yeah, yeah. Down to, you know, every detail of our lives. Yeah. So if we did know that our death was coming, why wouldn't we want to plan for that? Yeah. When we've lived our whole lives planning. Mm. So we've, we have got a way to go until Absolutely. that becomes more, I suppose, standard more acceptable yeah. and i wonder if it's not even on people's minds that that's kind of an option really unless yeah that um, might be the case know. yeah people often say to me i don't know how you do what you do we really work especially when you're working with losses you work with people to stress every day can you tell us a little bit about how you personally work with people's distress how you manage it yourself kind of holding all that all those emotions in some ways, a lot of the work that I do with grief and bereavement isn't distressing yeah. because you're working with that person's adjusting process. Right. They're, yeah. they're looking at the world from a different view. Mm. They're seeing their future and how different that will be. Mm. So the distress, when it does come, because clearly it does, mm. is more around maybe the relationship. Mm. It might be around the experience of being with the person when they died. Mm. So obviously, yeah, that is sometimes yeah. upsetting and, mm. and hard to hear. Mm. How do you hold that for yourself? How do you look after yourself? Supervision yes, is one yeah. of the things. Yeah. But it, I, I also practice mindfulness. Um, but there's, there's something around trusting the person as well mm. because it's not my grief. Yeah. It is their yeah. experience. Yeah. 
So there's something around, I suppose that the people that it's harder to manage sometimes are the ones that I identify the closest with. Right, Whether yeah. it's because they're similar in age or family or yeah. something mm. that could be much more you closely related to them in yeah. some way yeah and yeah. that's I suppose manage that so counseling and cbt we both in the both those professions you have to have regular supervision don't you yes, which is of course. to, to yeah. manage your clinical performance yeah. and can kind of to deal with this emotional dis- yeah, distress keeping yourself safe but also keeping all the clients that you work with yeah yeah safe as well. what have you learned most about being a therapist and working with people I suppose it goes back to what I learned from that very first book when I read about Carl Rogers and his theories was that people are amazing. The resilience and the the strength that people have to survive and cope with some of the most dreadful things that you couldn't even imagine. Yes, yeah. Because I am constantly surprised by what people experience what yes. they bring into the the room what they've lived with and, and what they've coped with yeah but they're they're still there and they want to make their lives better happier more mm. settled that's yeah. what i've learned it's amazing every that, client it? teaches me it all over again oh wow that's lovely and from everything you've learned are the things that you found helpful for yourself that you apply for yourself I suppose the, the there are there are things that I do learn from every client that I have, yes, yeah. um, which is part of the joy of the work mm. and what keeps it so interesting that every single person is so unique and what mm. they, they bring is, is so unique. I think the main thing that I've learned for myself um, is about being kinder because a lot a lot of clients that I see especially now have a lot of pressure that they put on themselves mm. to as we were saying before bounce back yes, whatever yeah. it is that's happened whatever it is they're coping with mm. there's this pressure to show the world that everything is just rosy yeah so mm. that's what I take away this, oh, this lovely, wanting yeah. to be kinder to myself yeah, yeah it's so important isn't it and if somebody is listening, because there might be, there is, oh gosh, lots of people will be, I guess. If somebody is listening and they're currently struggling with a recent bereavement, is there any advice that you would give them? I know it's quite probably a difficult question because it's so generic. But you know, in those kind of early few months, yeah. what, what is, is there any good advice that you can offer for it's, people? It's, it's real kind of, basic stuff really and it's to Mm. think about um how you would look after someone who was ill who was recovering Mm. from something really difficult so it is about being gentle with Mm. yourself it's about thinking about rest because grieving is exhausting Mm. so getting enough sleep at night although sleeping difficulties can be part of grieving absolutely so it might be putting your feet up in the day Mm. which again for some people is just so alien yes yeah don't beat yourself up yeah and have half an hour on the Saturday. so treating the kind of the emotional distress as you would the physical distress yes absolutely thinking about what you're eating and giving yourself good nutritious food and actually being compassionate towards yourself and not 
having to maintain everything as if nothing had happened. Yeah. So housework, does it matter yeah. if it gets left for a little while? Those sorts of things. So it all kind of comes back to kind of really being compassionate and kind to yeah. yourself. Yeah. And sometimes I see people many years after they've lost someone and, and actually generally they won't come with that issue. It might be another, but when we get talking, you feel how raw mm. um, and a, a bereavement is and it might have happened five, ten years previously. Yeah. It's just really not been dealt with so often would kind of support and work around that is there any is the advice different for people that might be kind of five ten years on after a bereavement not really no no because I think just what you're describing yeah um the bereavement is raw yeah and just because it happened five or ten years ago doesn't make it any mm. less distressing now's the moment that it's actually hit yeah. And, and, and people might find that surprising to hear that five yeah. or ten years you can be as raw as yeah, two weeks absolutely. ago. I think those people sometimes are good at putting things in box, yeah. aren't they? And yeah, mm-hmm. and something has obviously triggered it at the yes. moment that it it surfaces. Yeah, yeah. So it would be treated like a a, a recent bereavement yeah. because it is recent from that yes. person's experience. Yeah, it's a nice way to think about it, isn't it? I think it takes away the kind of judgment and criticism yeah. that sometimes people might have. If somebody is considering therapy for bereavement, what would you want them to know? Is there, you know, because there might be people listening that having heard this think it's maybe a good option for them. What would you... if, if it's thinking about um, therapy for bereavement, I suppose that the biggest thing is mm. there's no magic wand. There's no mm. quick route yes. around this. Yeah. And it is a unique experience, so it, it takes as long as it takes to get mm. to a happier, Do you find people come to, to see you for the quick fix? Sometimes, Sometimes. yeah. Right. Yeah. That must be hard then when you say we're going to work through it. Yeah. It's like that. there's that children's book, I can't remember what it's called, where... They're going on a bear hunt and they say you can't go under it, you can't go over it, you can't go around it, (laughs) you've got to go through it. And this is a random question that I quite like, it throws people a little bit, but if you were to have a conversation with your 15 year old self, what would you say to your younger self now? So I would give myself the lesson uh, that took me a very long time to learn Mm. and that is about working to the level of good enough. Oh, right. (laughs) So we all have this, um, or a lot of people have this driver towards perfection and actually good enough. Right, that is is good enough. Give yourself a t-shirt with... I would. Would you? That's that's a really nice note to to kind of end end on. Thank you so much for everything you've gone through today. I think it's it's, it's a tough conversation, isn't it? Mm. To talk about endings and bereavement and, and loss, but I'm sure it's going to be helpful for lots of people. If one, if people wanted to maybe get in touch with you or find out a bit more about what you do, where's the best place that they can go? So um, if they go to my website, then they can find all my contact details, email me and some a bit yeah. more information about what I do and, and who I am on there. Fab. and I'll put a link so that's lanebramall.co.uk isn't it, it and I'll is, put yeah. a link in the show notes with this so yeah. people can send you a message or ask more questions if they need to thank okay. you very much that's great thank you